Hey, welcome to the podcast of C3 Los Angeles. I'm Jake Sweetman, and together with my wife, Nicole, we lead this church. We're glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're tuning in from, that you are encouraged and strengthened by this word. Here's today's message. Uh, we're continuing uh, our series called Wise Up, uh, and we're seeking wisdom in the scriptures, specifically in the book of Proverbs, uh, for how we can live. And when we apply the wisdom of the scriptures, what we find is that our days uh, become better than the days that are behind us. doesn't mean that you won't go through trials and hardship and experience uh, difficulty in your life. But how many know that you can go through a trial today and experience that trial today better than you experienced the trial yesterday? Some of you don't believe me. <clears throat> how you experience a trial has a whole lot more to do with how you go through the trial than the details of the trial itself. So if you go through trials without wisdom, oftentimes you make a problem bigger than it needed to be because you handled the problem without wisdom. But God has wisdom for your life. So even though he doesn't promise you an easy life, he does say, hey, if you'll lean into my word, if you'll apply the word of God to your life, then you can even experience trials better today or tomorrow than you have in the past. So we have a lot to learn. Uh, today, uh, the title of the message is this, I've got providence to prove it. I've got, I appreciate the encouragement of my wife from the front row. I love you, honey. I got providence to prove it. Turn to your neighbor. We don't normally do this, but I can tell I need to get you guys a little bit more talkative today. So turn to your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, it's going to be all right. And tell him, I got providence to prove it. And turn to your other neighbor because that neighbor didn't believe you. Turn to your other neighbor and say, hey, hey neighbor number two, everything's going to be all right because I've got providence to prove it. Absolutely right. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 21 says this, many are the plans in the mind of a man. Many are the plans in the mind of a man. But it is the purpose, everyone say purpose. I'll say it again, everyone say purpose. It is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Many are the plans in the mind of a man. Anybody here a planner, like you like to plan things out? How many here in the room, like you got a five-year plan? Any five-year planners yeah, most of you are creative, so you're like, I actually don't have a plan for tomorrow. <laughs> Some of you, you've got like your 15-year plan. Like you got it all mapped out, and we salute you. God bless you. The world needs people like you. I'm not one of them. Many are the plans in the mind of a man. But even though you've got a whole lot of plans, God wants you to know something. Your plans are cute, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. I've got providence to prove it. The first thing that I want us to notice from this problem is that God's purpose is what is going to stand for eternity. In fact, the scriptures make that fact clear all throughout the biblical narrative that it is the purpose of God that is going to stand not just in time but also throughout all of eternity. And of course, this connects back to the doctrine of God's sovereignty, which the church has held to throughout its entire existence. God's sovereignty, simply put, simply understood, is that he has ultimate power and he has ultimate authority. And because God has ultimate authority and ultimate power, that means that no matter what schemes the enemy cooks up, no matter how humanity tries to undermine God's purpose, God overrides all of that and accomplishes his purpose still. Now, in case you don't know what God's purpose is, the scriptures actually tell us what the purpose of God, and God's purpose, most simply put, is this. It's his glory and the good of those who love him. That is God's purpose, that he would be glorified 
and that those who love him would experience the good that comes from life lived with him. Now these two things, the glory of God and the good of those who love him, are not at odds with each other. They are never at odds with each other. God never has to choose between his glory and your good. But in fact, when God is glorified, you and I experience the good that God has for us. You could say that our good is found in God's glory. And God glories in our good. That is why any life that seeks after the glory of God will wind up experiencing and amounting to its own good. Now for you and I to seek after God's glory means that we live in such a way that honors Him as the Lord of the cosmos, as the Lord of the church, as the Lord of your personal life. We live in a way that honors the price that he paid for our redemption, the price that he paid for our freedom from sin, our freedom from oppression, and that points other people towards living a life of praise towards him. And when we live that way, we live for the glory of God. And by God's design, you experience your own very, very good as a result. Now to live otherwise, say by our own reconstructions, of how life should be, or what life should consist of, is not only to rob God of his glory, it's to rob yourself of your own good. Because we can't experience true goodness apart from what God says is true about us. And apart from what God says is true about life. If we pursue lies that are disguised as truth, what we will end up experiencing is emptiness disguised as goodness. And you know as well as I know that the disguises always come off Eventually. I have had that experience and chances are that you have had that experience. And for those who love God, when we have that experience, typically that brings us back to a place of repentance. It brings us to a place of returning to the truth of his word. For those who don't love God when they have that experience, oftentimes, unfortunately, it hardens them further into unbelief. Now, the point that I'm making right now is that even for those who love the Lord, and even for those who are pursuing his glory, we still have a great capacity to pursue other things than his glory. And therefore to pursue other things than our own good. In other words, we don't always live for God's purpose. And yet, God says in the, pro in the proverb that it is his purpose that will ultimately stand, not the outcomes of our own plans. This is the inference of the proverb. I want you to really get it because this should resound as true in your life. That oftentimes there is a gap between your plans and his purpose. And God says, I want to close the gap. And the way that he closes the gap is by making your plan submit to his purpose. And guess what? That's his grace. Because I know that you think your plans are all about your good, but guess what? God's purpose is so much more for your good than your plans are for your good. So God says, i got to make your plans submit. Now, because of the gap that exists between my personal plans and God's purpose, that means that I can't assume that I'm always going to accomplish God's glory and our good by my plans alone. Because there's a gap. So I actually need God's intervention I need God to guide my path and to establish my steps. I need God to adjust my direction. Anybody here ever had God adjust their direction? Like you thought you were on the, the right path and God's like, actually, that path sucks. We need to go this way. Just a few of you. Okay, the rest of you are lying. 
I need God to supply me with the right partners, the right people, the right resources, the right opportunities. In other words, I need God to continually close the gap between my plans and his purpose. And that something that closes the gap is a little thing called God's providence. And providence is what we're going to learn about today. The reason that the scriptures can confidently say, despite your cute little plans, that it's God's purpose that's ultimately going to stand is because of the doctrine of providence. Now, providence is different from but related to God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty, as I said, is that he has ultimate power, that he has ultimate authority. In other words, nothing is outside of God's grasp. Nothing, nothing falls outside of God's control. Therefore, God's sovereignty as it relates to your life could be said like this. It's what God permits. And nothing happens apart from God's permission. That's God's sovereignty, but God's providence isn't what he permits. God's providence is what he provides. And what the scriptures teach us is that God doesn't just provide some of the good things in our lives. No, no, no. The Bible teaches that God provides all of the good things in our lives. Even the good things that feel like bad things. Like trials or maybe the correction of somebody in your life who helps you see a blind spot. That never feels very good, but it's a good thing because God wants to use those good things that feel like tough things for the accomplishment of his glory and ultimately your good. I'm trying to wrap your mind around all of this, God's sovereignty, God's providence, thinking about all of that in conjunction with your own free will, and you will do your head in. But the Bible acknowledges both. And so we have to acknowledge both and acknowledge the fact that truth often lives in tension. And there are some things in the scriptures that we are not meant to understand completely. Like, how can God be three in one? I don't know. It's hard to understand. How can Jesus be 100% divine and 100% human? I don't really get it, but God does. How can God have sovereignty and providence working in our lives at all times, and yet at the same time I have my own free will? I don't really know, but I know that the Bible teaches both, and so I am to submit myself to both of these truths. The Baker Bible Dictionary defines providence as God's provision for the needs of people on time. The word providence means literally to see before, and therefore by implication to do something about the situation. The fun part is that God sees everything before it happens and therefore providentially has done everything already about every situation that's going to take place. That's God's providence in action. Now a misunderstanding on our part of how to live in light of God's providence would be to, I don't know, be tempted to be fatalistic or maybe apathetic or maybe arrogant towards God's decrees. But actually what we should draw from God's supremacy above all things is firstly an incredible amount of peace. Because if God is not sovereign and if God is not providential, that means that he doesn't really ultimately hold the future. And if God does not ultimately hold the future, I hate to break it to you, that means that your future is ultimately up to you. And if my future is ultimately up to me, then friends, I'm going to start sleeping a whole lot less soundly. But thank God the Bible makes it clear that God holds the past, God holds the present, and God holds the future. And everything that I have and everything that I will need comes straight from God's hand into my 
life. And the same is true about you. And therefore, I can sleep in peace. I can rise in peace. I can go to work in peace. I can be guarded by peace at all moments of my life because God is providential and God will supply all of my needs. The second thing that we can draw from God's providence is ultimately a huge amount of ownership over our lives. Because what God provides is often not a tree, but a seed. What God provides is often not a finished work, but an opportunity to do something impactful in partnership with him. What God provides is not a world that looks like Eden, but a garden that looks like Eden and an invitation to make the world look like the garden. It's the seed, not the tree. And therefore, when God provides something for you, it comes with an invitation to take ownership over that thing and go to work trusting that he's going to use the work of your hands to bring impact that ultimately leads to what? To his glory and the good of those who love him. And guess what? When we fall and when our plans fail, if we humble ourselves, we get more grace. In other words, we get, God becomes providential again and again. And guess what? We are going to fall. And our plans are going to fail, even if in minor ways. And that's why we can't convince ourselves that we can live independently of God. No, no, no. We need his intervention. We need his involvement because our plans simply won't cut it. If you're going to live with any real sense of peace, you're going to have to resolve within yourself that I can't make everything happen on my own. And I serve a God who knows my needs before I even know them. And therefore, he has already determined to provide for those needs because in his providence, he's ensuring his glory and your good. And God is completely committed to those two outcomes. My very best plan simply won't cut it. Recently, I made a new friend. His name was Lonnie. Lonnie's probably in his 40s now, but when Lonnie was 17 years old, he was talked... Uh, into robbing a bank by some bad influences in his life. And so they sent him into this bank, and he robbed this bank at gunpoint. And guess what? Lonnie didn't make it three steps out of the building before he was arrested by the police and went to jail. And Lonnie was in jail for a very long period of time, not just because of the crime that he committed in robbing the bank, but because when he got into jail, he started fighting, and he injured somebody really severely. So he went from just being in prison to being in solitary confinement. And Lonnie spent a very long period uh, of his life in solitary confinement. He got depressed, he got weak, he got frail. He didn't move from his bed for months and months and months and months at a time. One day, Lonnie had a memory, and that memory was of being a little kid sitting down in the front row of a church. And as the preacher was up on the stage preaching the message, who also happens to be a friend of mine, he said to Lonnie as a little kid, Lonnie, you've got God's on your life. And as Lonnie was sitting on that bed in that solitary confinement cell, that memory of that word that God provided for him came into his mind. And he started reciting over and over in his head, God's call is on my life. So that one day he decided, you know what, I'm going to get up and I'm going to start walking laps in my solitary confinement 10 by 10 cell. The first day that Lonnie got up and decided to walk a lap, he was so weak, he was so frail that he could only do one lap. The next day he did two laps until before you know it, he was walking 
walking back and forth and back and forth and back and forth in that solitary confinement cell. Lonnie testified to me, I walked myself out of depression. In fact, he didn't just walk himself out of depression. He walked himself out of solitary confinement. He walked himself out of jail. He walked himself out of depression, weakness, and frailty. He was set free. Now he pastors a church in Dallas and he serves the poor faithfully with the ministry that him and his dad run together. All because God provided for him a word when he was a kid. And God provided for him the ability to remember the word had God, God had given to him so that he could change where his plans had led him to because no matter how much our plans tamper with God's purpose, God is absolutely committed to his glory and the good of those who love him. And he is going to bring about that purpose in our lives by his provision. It's not going to be by your perfect plan. But even if you've blown it, and friends, in my life several times I have made absolute wreckage of my relationships, of my life, of my finances. I don't need to stand up before you today and say I had it all together. No, no, I haven't had it all together. And that's what qualifies me to be able to preach this word because it's not about the good that I've done. It's about the perfect finished work that Jesus Christ has accomplished on my behalf. And I'm not leaning on my own strength. I'm not leaning on my own power. I'm leaning on the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ who has committed himself to provide for me and to provide for you. And even in the provision comes the lessons. That's part of the good stuff. So that you don't do tomorrow what you did yesterday. <clears throat> so that Jesus is your Lord and not just your Savior. So you're not constantly depending upon getting yourself out of ditches, but you're walking down a path and saying to others, hey, follow me, this way's better. That's what God wants to do through you. Providence is everywhere in the biblical narrative. I think about Abraham and Isaac. Many of you would know the story about how God invites Abraham, Abraham, commands Abraham rather, to sacrifice his son Isaac that Abraham has waited such a long time to have. And Abraham is heading up the mountain with Isaac and he's got some of his servants with him. But listen to this in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 5. It says, Abraham said to the young men, to the servants, you stay here with the donkey. I and the boy, me and Isaac, we will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now Abraham knew what God had asked him to do and yet he was still confident that he was coming back down the mountain with his son beside him. When they got to the place where Abraham was meant to sacrifice Isaac, Isaac said to Abraham, Dad, where is the sacrifice? And Abraham said back to Isaac. You can look at it in Genesis 22. God will provide the sacrifice. So even though Abraham knew what God had asked him to do in his heart, he knew that God was going to provide a way for him to come back down the mountain with Isaac at his side. Hebrews 11:19 says that Abraham considered that God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead from from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back because Abraham knew that God would provide a way. That is God's providence working in your life. Let's look at a New Testament example. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in the Roman city of Philippi. And he says this to them, God will, everyone say will. will. 
God will, not maybe, not might, not perhaps, God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now this is what the Apostle Paul says to the Philippian church in response to the offering, the financial support that they have sent to him. In other words, they have lessened themselves financially and yet Paul confidently says that every single one of your needs are going to be provided for because God is going to bring the supply that is needed for the provision of those needs. That kind of conviction comes from a deep belief in the providence of God. You see, perhaps some of us here today don't trust God financially because we don't understand or believe in God's providence. That we're actually unwilling to trust God with our finances, maybe with the tithe or just being a generous person because we think that when we have less, we'll have less. Eh, wrong. When you have less, God says, I will supply every single one of your needs according not to your riches, but to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Whether or not you understand the providence of God, whether or not you believe in God's providence does not change the fact that you have been experiencing it your whole life long. In fact, no matter where you are in life today, the fact is that none of us are where we are apart from the providence of God. Let me say it to you this way. I'll pose this question. If your life were the sum of all your choices, now don't be generous to yourself and just think about the decent choices. That No, no, no. All the choices that you made. Some of you guys should be nervously laughing right now. The fact that your life is not the sum of all your choices, that is the providence of God. And I am so grateful that he has providentially provided for every single one of us. And this is not some mechanical function of a distant God. No, no, no. This is a loving expression of a father. And Paul said in Philippians 4.19, God will supply all your needs. He then breaks out in Philippians 4.20 into praise. And the kind of praise that Paul breaks out into is very telling. Look at verse 20. He says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. That's really hard to read. God bless you guys for that. <laughs> I'm glad I had it here. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. In other words, Paul sees God's providence connected to God's fatherhood. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8. In the Sermon on the Mount, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Why? Because your Father, that's the fatherhood of God, knows what you need before you ask Him. That's His providence. So what then is God's fatherhood like? Because that'll help us understand more clearly how God's providence works in our lives. Again, Baker on biblical fatherhood says this, that fathers construct conditions of opportunity for children without crowding their freedom. They exercise governance in a context of caring. So what fathers do is they provide freedom for their kids. To do what? To explore, to grow, to try and fail. They provide specific instruction when they know that the kids need it. They redeem them from failure when kids can't get back up on their own. That's what fathers do. They provide the right amount of freedom, the right amount of direction. It reminds me a little bit of when Nicole and I were teaching Winston to ride a bike when he was younger. And we both had very different approaches to how we thought Winston should be guided 
in the learning to ride a bike process. And we took them down to the, the uh, playground near our house, and there's a parking lot there, and we're teaching Winston to ride his bike in this parking lot. And so I'm getting him up on the bike, and I'm giving him a push, and then I'm kind of, you know, I've given him some clear instructions, like the bike's going to go where your eye's going to go. That was the one phrase that I would just always shout, bike's going to go where your eye's going to go. And Winston was just like, because he'd been looking down here and like falling, right? So he's getting back up, and I'm kind of running behind Winston, like at a safe enough distance in case he falls. And then when it looks like he has it, I kind of just back off. Like, let's just see what happens. And Winston rides, and guess what? He falls. And then I go over, and I help him get back up, and the process continues. Well, as Winston is starting to get more comfortable, I go and stand next to Nicole, and we're watching Winston ride the bike, and we both have very different reactions to the learning to ride a bike process, right? Nicole is constantly calling out every single obstacle that Winston might hit. Winston, there's a curb. Winston, there's a stick. Winston, there's a tiny rock. Winston, make sure you don't hit that. She's fighting the urge every other second second to run over to Winston and make sure that he doesn't fall. And every time he does fall, she lets out a very dramatic motherly gasp. (gasps) Like, baby, we'll be fine. God's a, a lot more like dad. I know we don't like to talk about it in this day and age, but God is not a mother. God is not overly nurturing God doesn't want to make sure that you never fall down. No, God, the Bible says, is a father, which means that he is providing you with the right amount of freedom. He wants to let you try. He wants to let you fall. He wants to let you fail. He wants to pick you back up again, but what he doesn't want to do is make sure that you live a danger-free life. No, God is a whole lot. In fact, what makes God even better than an earthly dad in that context is that he does not need to wait for you to fall to then know what to do after you fall. God has foreseen every single fall that you will have and has already providentially supplied everything that you will need before you even hit the ground. What did Jesus say? He knows your needs before you ask. God is providential and he lets you have the freedom that you need to grow. And that means that maybe while people who are outside the church, who are outside the kingdom, when they fall on the way down, they say, oh no. But you and I, as the people of God, when we fall, even before we hit the ground, we say, it's gonna be all right. And that kind of outlook comes from knowing that God, God doesn't just provide the conditions that you need for your life to amount to his glory and the good of those who love him. No, God is the ultimate condition. He doesn't stand apart from the conditions of your life. He stands within them as the first cause, as the unmoved mover, as the ultimate condition that gives life to all of the other life-giving conditions. Let me say it to you this way, that God isn't just for you. He's with you. In the parking lot, parking lot bike riding analogy, he's not standing 50 feet away from the parking lot. No, God's with you in the lot. His presence fills the lot so that there's nowhere you go that he is not. And he's not present in an overbearing helicopter parent kind of way. No, he's present as an ever-present kind of help in trouble. He's present so that he provides the grace that you need to pedal and the grace that you need to steer and the grace that you need to have a firm foundation underneath your feet upon which to ride. This God is exactly who the scriptures tell us he is. He's he's incarnate in the Son. 
He inserted himself into the human story. Jesus said, I'm going to the Father, but you're not going to be alone. I'm not going to leave you as orphan. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will be with you to the end of the age. Look at Isaiah 57 and verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. In other words, he sounds like he's out there, but guess what? I'm also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. In other words, God is not just for you. God is also with you. And out of this reality, the fact that he's not just for you, but he's also with you, that provides the thing that you need most, which is not a thing. It is relationship with him. And relationship is what shows that his providence is more than just a commitment to give you what you need. It's also an invitation for you to ask for what you desire. And that's the second thing that we can draw as a conclusion of the fact that God's providence is an overflow of his fatherhood. That he doesn't just want to give you what you need. He actually takes joy in satisfying your wants. Remember what I said earlier, that God glories in your good. And part of the good that you get to experience is the satisfaction of the desires that you have. And so God says, ask. When my kids are specific with me, about what they want for Christmas or birthday or just a gift in general. I love it. <laughs> Pastor Joe talked a little bit ago about how it's always a mystery buying for your dad. I can relate to that. Friends, it's a mystery buying for my seven-year-old. I got no idea. I don't know what's going to make him happy. When he tells me, oh, I love it. And I glory in his joy in providing for what he has asked. And it's the same with God. Now, he's not a genie. He doesn't give you everything you think you want. Because guess what? Not everything you think you want is what you actually want. How many here are grateful that God said no to some of the things that you thought that you wanted, but that you ultimately would not have wanted had you gotten it? But on the whole, his fatherhood does mean that he loves to supply your desires. One last scripture, Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. This is Jesus in the same sermon on the mount. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. Or which one of you, if his son, so he's talking to fathers, if his son asks him for bread, will you give him a stone? If he asks for fish, will you give him a serpent? If you then who are evil, and we are evil by comparison to the purity of God, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Now this is in the exact same sermon as when Jesus said, God already knows what you need before you ask. So which is it? Does he already know? Or do I need to ask? It's both. It's both. God is inviting you into invitation. Which means it's not that we have to ask as though God didn't know what we need. No, no, no. It's that we get to ask. Because God wants to hear our desires. And when you take God up on this, and when you understand that God is providential, guess what? It turns into the most exciting, kind of adventurous kind of life, especially as you learn to want what he wants. So that you're not constantly managing the disappointment of wanting differently than him. Because God wants what's going to amount to his glory and your good. You don't always want that way. Remember, there's a gap between your plans and his purpose. So God wants to help you close the gap. The way that you learn to close the gap is you pay attention to what God provides. And you learn how God wants to move in your life. 
You learn what God values. God values my character. God wants me to grow and become more like Christ Jesus. So I'm going to stop asking for things that I know are motivated by my selfish desires. I'm going to start asking according to what I know God wants to do in my life. I'm going to give you three practical applications, and I'm going to wrap this baby up. Hopefully this has been helpful to you. If you received the word, come on, let's give God one great big praise. (laughs) Worship team, why don't you guys go ahead and come. Number one, I'd love for you to write this down. Write this down. It says, choose trust instead of fear. Because God is providential, you and I can choose trust instead of fear. Now, if God's providence is his foresight, and his supply of what we need and even what we desire. Not only does that mean that God should be credited with every single good thing that comes to us, it also means that we should never fear not uh, having what is needed. It means that we should never fear going without. It also means that we shouldn't fear God being unconcerned with our own happiness. In other words, you should not fear the future. Especially if you live in humility before the Lord and you're seeking after his glory. Even when you fall and even when you make a mess of things, God's providence is proof that you don't need to be afraid. You see, I've found that what fear does is it closes my eyes to possibility. But what trust does is just opens me back up to, hey, what can God do in this circumstance? And that's, that's why he wants to lead you in, in the way that you live, because he's providential, because he's gracious. He doesn't want you to close your eyes to possibility. If things are a mess, he wants you to ask the question, what can God do? Because I guarantee you, God is not out of options. In fact, to God, they're not even options. That would indicate that God is having to make a decision in the moment. You see, when Winston falls on the bike, I got to run to him and I got to triage. Does he need a hug? Does he need a doctor? Does he need a bandage? Does he just need a pat on the back and say, get going? That's triaging. God never needs to triage. He's never figuring it out because he's sovereign. He sees the whole thing. He knows the need before the need arose. And so you can trust instead of be afraid. Because remember, God is committed to his purpose. His purpose will stand. That's what the proverb said. Which means he's he's ultimately committed to his glory and your good. And what that means is that he has not left providence as an option to himself there's a gap. Providence is the only thing that's going to close the gap. And God is intent on closing the gap. So he's already ordained himself to be providential in your life. No wonder the Bible says, fear not 365 times in the Bible. God is absolutely committed to you living a life free of fear and overflowing in trust. Number two, choose faith instead of complaint. Write this down. Choose faith instead of complaint. Faith is kind of like trust, but it's trust in drive. It's trust in forward motion. And God's providence should produce faith that we've all been given what we need to move forward. And therefore, we don't need to complain about what we don't have. This is true in every single detail of your life. Think about it in the context of relationships. There are billions upon billions upon billions of people alive on the planet right now. And over the course of your lifetime, you will know 99.99. In fact, you won't know 99.99999% of them. And yet God will make sure that you have every single relationship that you need to get where God wants you to go. 
It's not because you're so attractive and magnetic that all those relationships flooded into your world. No, it's that God provided the right people in the right place at the right time to get you where God intends for you to go. Think about it in the context of geography, where you live. Even down to the apartment building that you live in or the, the local businesses in which you shop. Think about it in terms of the church that you're planted in or the money that God has given you to steward. None of it is an accident. It's because God provided every single good detail of your life. And he's inserted himself into all of that to move you along according to his purpose. One of the great mistakes that we can make as it regards providence is to sanitize it with man-made counterfeits like fortune, fate, luck, progress, mother nature, human know-how and ingenuity. You know, the biblical concept of providence is that God is involved in all the dealings of mankind and is always moving his purposes along for his glory and the good of those who love him. Therefore, it would seem reasonable to some for you to go, I'm going to complain about what I don't have. But what God's providence tells us is that complaint should be a foreign language to the believer. And that faith is the native tongue that we speak all the time because we know that even if I don't have what I feel like I need, it's because God hasn't provided it for a reason and God will provide every single thing that I need so that I always have what I need to get where God wants me to go. Number three, and I'm all done. Choose righteousness instead of sin. Here's what I think. I think that providence is an invitation to leave sin behind. And I don't mean to imply that you're going to be perfect on this side of eternity. But I think we can get better by the power of God's grace. Here's why I think providence is an invitation to leave sin behind. Why? Why do we sin? We sin to get what we want. God has already promised to provide everything that I need and has invited me to ask for what I want, then I don't need to sin to get ahead. We don't need to connive and lie and steal and manipulate to climb the backs of other people to get where we want to be. No, no, no. The believer says God's going to provide. So I don't need to sin to get where I want to go. God will open the door. You and I can live righteously. We can seek the glory of God who always brings about the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Amen? Come on, one more time. Let's give God one great big praise. You've been listening to the C3 Los Angeles podcast. If you found today's message helpful, we encourage you to share it with a friend and consider rating it. If you'd like more information about our church or details on how to get connected to a neighborhood group, head to c3losangeles.com. We love you. Thanks for tuning in with us.